0: Hi. Whoa, your camera's, <coughs> your camera's ah! falling. Camera's falling. Gorilla pod? That's the problem. Yeah, You're it. trusting a gorilla pod. You need a Kong pod. Com-pod? Kong pod? Oh. Kong. King of the Apes. That's a play on words as well as a reference to
1: movies. Welcome to Movie, guys. That right there is the intro. Right? <laughs> movie. Movie! Today we're talking about Mank. Mank. Uh, I could do the synopsis this time. Oh, great. The 11th film by David Fincher about the writing of the movie Citizen Kane. It was written, well, there's debate, but it was (laughs) co-written by uh, Orson Welles and his name, besides Mank. Herman Herman Mankiewicz. Herman Mankiewicz. Herman J. Mankiewicz, right? Basically, it is about Mank, who is bedridden because of an accident, writing Citizen Kane while it flashes back to various points in his life as a writer in old hollywood
0: and as a part of kind of the social circle of um uh, uh oh my that guy this is, boy this is embarrassing citizen kane is about charles foster kane is his name in yeah. in uh the in the movie why is
1: it escaping me too
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It is, um... Hearst. William Randolph Hearst.
1: Ding! You got it! Yes. You got Hearst first. Basically, Her- Herman J. Mankiewicz was a part of the social circle of William Randolph Hearst, who was a big-time millionaire, maybe billionaire, media mogul, magna- he owned a newspaper, kind of running Hollywood at the time.
0: Yeah, and kind of like politics as well, or a certain segment mm-hmm. of California politics, at least, is implied heavily in this movie, at least, and hey... I always believe everything I see in movies. So Sure, sure, sure. You know. Totally. They're, they're all they're all all documentaries. True. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great synopsis, Craig. It very much Thank is you. that movie. Would you recommend Mank to people? I'd recommend Mank. Yeah, sure. Would you? Well, ask me. Ask me. Craig, hey Craig, would you recommend the movie Mank? <clears throat> I've I've
1: prepared this line. <clears throat> Mank is grank. Meaning it's great. <laughs> I would recommend it to everyone, but out of those people I recommend it to, I think many of them would not be interested because they don't care about writing, they don't (laughs) care about film history, uh, or Citizen Kane. Do they
0: care about beautifully photographed uh, cinema? Yeah, I guess that's that's a draw. It's styled as a classic Hollywood picture from like the late 30s, early 40s. It's not just like Looking like it. It is It is made to be it. We're not going to allude to those things. We're just going to be yeah. a classic Hollywood movie. It, 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 to the point where the, the audio sounded like old audio. Yeah. They didn't shoot it on film. They shot it digitally as uh, all of um, Fincher's movies have been since. Oh, gosh. Uh, probably Curious Case at least. Which I haven't seen, by the way. Is that the only one of his you haven't seen? Yeah, that's the only one. And you refuse to for some reason. I just don't feel like, I just never feel up, I just never feel like it. Like, Fincher, for me, has, like, a a vibe I want from Fincher, and a certain amount of cynicism, and nothing about (laughs) uh, Curious Case looks like it's, it looks like it's trying to be that other thing.
1: It's it's a recipe for a ton of depression, because it's like, (laughs) it's a guy who starts out super old, and he's destined to gradually get, become a baby, and then...
0: I, I hear you. No, and I, I've heard yeah. people talk about how weird it is, and like that it's yeah. that's well done. Of course it's well done. It's a David Fincher movie. There's kind of a wry smirk to a lot of David Fincher's work that I just suspect is not in the golden-hued cards for uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button.
1: I liked it. I've, I've only seen it once a while ago. To me, the weirdness
0: was the computer-animated old man. Starting with Fight Club, all those computer-generated things look really good because they're just... They're not organic material. <laughs> they're, yeah. you know, he's going through apartments and refrigerators and through the stove and all this stuff. And like the through the brain stuff looks very CGE because it's CGE. And when you come out of Edward Norton's face, you kind of feel CGE in a way that the other non organic stuff doesn't bump you quite as much. And it's just a yeah. matter of us being far enough away from that technology. We get used to
1: effects and then they get better and then we notice when they're not. It's like, you need an ab comparison and that's um, why
0: practical will always rain did you mm-hmm. see in um, once upon a time in mexico robert rodriguez is third in the desperado trilogy i think i did yeah but he, i don't
1: remember it he really. does all yeah.
0: kinds of stuff where like he takes yeah. the actor he lays the actor down but they've made a like a fake head of the actor so as the actor's yeah. laying there they pull off the eye patch and there's a bag of cocaine in his eye socket right and so like you pull the <laughs> bag of cocaine out of the eye socket and it looks so real because he has the actor's face there and he's only taken the one eye socket out but it goes into the mate like the prosthetic that they've made of the face and you're like oh my gosh that's that's how you do it
1: but also in benjamin button to to defend him a little like an old man who's just born what would that look like
0: (laughs) What, what what would you how would you make that look gollum so as we got into yeah. this whole, like where we were coming from was in the very beginning of the movie, they have the full opening credits, like classic Hollywood films do. And they're long. Like it's cars driving through the desert, going to whatever writer's retreat he's going to. Old timey music. Old timey music. Old timey cards coming up. The the scroll was beautiful.
1: It moves kind of slowly in that there'll be long scenes, but really fast dialogue. Like a lot of dialogue. And I, I actually had to turn on subtitles. Like, cause I, I, and I, and I went back a few times. Like I was watching, i like... I kind of got it, and I'm like, well, well. a couple times it was like I, guess I missed something, but th- but sometimes it was like, that was so great. I
0: want to see that again.
1: So I went back and, like, listened to the, the dialogue again. I think we should move into spoilers.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's great, too. There's also not a ton of worry about spoilers in this one. Like, the plot points aren't going to rock your world or anything. It's all about watching, like, characters yeah. interact. and
1: Well, they reveal that William, Ran- uh, William Randolph Hearst is an alien.
0: Oh, oh yeah. No, no, Craig, that's not true. Oh, oh. Oh. But welcome to spoilers territory, guys. Yeah, we're in spoilers now. That's the (laughs) indication. So, Craig, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't take notes other than the mental notes that I have just in my head from watching a film. Okay, okay. I have notes. Again. (laughs) I think... Yeah. I'm going to say this one thing, uh, and then I think we should just go through your notes again, because that's a blast. That's a great way to go through these things. Oftentimes, when a director is kind of hearkening back to an old old hollywood vibe it's so dependent on the actors being able to actually do it and it doesn't matter if they're buying in as hard as they can if it's an actor who who could not exist in that time it just mm-hmm. stands out like a sore thumb and i'm thinking uh when i think say this i'm thinking about um the great and powerful oz the sam raimi movie that came out not that long ago i haven't seen it okay so it was styled very much like a classic hollywood movie it's like starts in four three ratio and the cast was um james franco i see where you're going with that though james franco is very much a person of now he is he is now and he was trying to be old-timey <laughs> and everything but it just seemed yeah. so false same with oh god she yeah. played the wicked witch of the west in it and she's so good i she was in the 70s show she's married to Ashton Kutcher. Bad moms, bad moms, Christmas. Oh, Mila-, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. So she was the yeah. Wicked Witch of the West, and come on, like she's a she's a person of now. She is now. <laughs> like her saying those old lines. It just felt like Mila Kunis pretending to be old timey. And they were going, they were going for it, man. It just, you couldn't sell that. As whereas Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, like the people in this Uh, movie, whoever played Orson Welles, he was great. Like the people in this movie.
1: Daddy Lannister from Game of Thrones is William Randolph Hearst. Yeah.
0: He was the perfect choice. He was, he was fantastic. Like they, and they all feel old timey. They, and they feel, they feel of that time. But not of that time for real, of that time in a movie. It's a movie mostly for film snobs and
1: film buffs. <laughs> I really I really don't think this movie is for everybody. I personally think it's a beautiful masterpiece work of <laughs> art. But I think it's not for everybody, but I also, after reading about it later, like I have mixed feelings about
0: how inaccurate a lot of it is. Uh, I-, I would love the- to hear about some of those inaccuracies too. Do you have okay. those written down or I don't have those written down, but I can remember. I remember some. All right, what
1: are they? Like, like, did you you didn't read anything about it? Uh,
0: I read afterwards? very, very little about it. the The thing that intrigued me the most is that it was the one remaining unproduced feature written by David Fincher's father, Jack Fincher, who worked for the San Francisco yeah. Chronicle forever.
1: I don't mind if
0: some things are inaccurate. Like, obviously, it's condensed to fit into his oh, sure, life. Sure, they sure. Even sure.
1: say that in the movie, basically. Yeah. They allude to that. The guy who who makes the propaganda film. Yeah. And then... Oh, yeah. ...suicide? I did, I did read this. Yeah, go ahead. He didn't exist. He didn't exist. It was someone else who made the propaganda film.
0: Yeah. The guy who did make the political propaganda film also then saw uh, a very successful career follow making that film. He didn't kill himself.
1: Right. And... But that was a way to serve showing how Mank... Or how for Upton Sinclair he was and how against William Randolph Hearst and Louis B. Mayer he was. Yeah. That's not even also, also really accurate. Like, there, it seems it seems as though he was more center right than he was left th- that the movie makes him out to be. Oh okay. Also it makes it seem as if he basically was the sole writer of Citizen Kane and and Orson Welles stole it from him. There there is no real conclusive evidence that he's like the only like subsequent drafts and rewrites happened after he gave it to orson Welles. yeah it was like there was more process to it than they made it seem
0: yeah no of course Um, and i also i also the the one thing i read about it came from amy nicholson he handed him like a 300 page (laughs) screenplay and from there it was time for orson to kind of whittle it down and make it a movie
1: yeah i feel like there's still a lot more work to be done yeah yeah you get a 300 page script that said like without Mank, the movie wouldn't exist yeah. as, as it is. 100%. Like, I mean, and, I, I, to me,
0: it sounds yeah. like a co-writing situation. Um yeah. And, I mean, it sounds like the... I, I believe 100% that the entire first draft would be Mank, and then oh, yeah. Orson would take it from there. But, like, yeah. like, that's that doesn't mean Orson Welles didn't do anything to it. Right. Yeah. kind of makes it seem like he was just, like, the bad guy who
1: who took it, and then... I mean, in some ways, he was kind of... Yeah. He was kind of... Gre- like... Arrogant and egotistical in that he didn't want Mank to take credit any credit, and
0: yeah. But I don't know. We're also seeing it through all of these events through the lens of Mankiewicz. Like we're seeing it from yeah. his perspective. Well, factually inaccurate. It's probably how Wells seemed to him.
1: <laughs> I'm more. I, I take more issue with the uh, the politics. Like sure, I, sure. I feel like that was a kind of the core of the movie is like his left leaning politics and being against.
0: Well, it's Perth. like the whole like, it, like an extended second act is is about yeah. that.
1: Obviously, he has he is against Hearst in some ways because he made this he wrote this script about him. But it was I don't think it was just about politics because he wasn't that far removed from his from Hearst's politics. Sure.
0: So uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: but how do how do you feel about Citizen Kane?
0: Citizen movie? Kane, I uh, respect a bunch and I understand yeah. like mm-hmm. how many things evolved from it, like how many techniques were pioneered in it. That being said. Yeah. Sitting down and watching Citizen Kane, I am bored. By I get bored. <laughs> I get bored watching it.
1: I last time I haven't watched it in a while, but I've seen it like four or five times, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, I've the seen more, it the at more, least
0: three times, and yeah, the
1: more times I watch it, the more I like it. Um,
0: all right, should I go to my notes? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, one other thing before I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, halfway through the movie, I was like, "His little brother Joe, who comes to Hollywood, his, he's bringing into the studio. His little brother Joe, his little brother Joe, Joe, Joe Mankiewicz." joseph l mankowitz is that who we're talking about here and i couldn't so i had to look it up immediately and yeah they were brothers uh the guy who made who wrote and directed all about eve and uh people will talk just joseph l mankowitz is awesome awesome writer director who i have seen way more of his work than than herman's
1: well mank uh our our mank our hero mank was apparently like deeply deeply a
0: part of hollywood for a long time Yeah, was like a writer a writer a rewriter but I, I was um, unfamiliar with his name, but I knew by heart the name yeah. Joseph L. Mankiewicz.
1: Yeah, well, because he was a director, too. So Yeah, that helps. Yeah, because uh, who cares about writers? Am I right? right? <laughs> <Ugh>. Whoa, no. <laughs> Mank notes. That's the first thing I wrote. Uh-huh. Opening credits make me giddy. I wrote that. They're fantastic. Uh, They're fantastic. I feel like that would have launched a discussion about the opening credits, but we already talked about them. So now brace yourself. I'm going to swear here. Oh, I wrote... Uh, Camera angles are perfect. Fucking fincher, man. That's what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Uh just from the opening scene, all the camera angles I think or most of them are just like low angle by his bed looking up like it's like um it's just re- it's it's really putting you in his point of view. Yeah. And and it's just real good. Yeah. And then, and then I think that I wrote several just lines of dialogue because <laughs> there's so many good ones. It moves like a bullet and sometimes there's some things I just I went back and re-listened to and still don't get. Like I couldn't figure out what they meant. What? I looked at the subtitles. What's that? Well, like what? Do you have an example? Well, I'll, I'll I'll get to that. Okay. Um uh, but but I wrote nothing like a good noodle. That was a line. <laughs> and then I wrote Ors- uh Orson Wells's goatee. That's I wrote that. Yeah. Because that goatee was real goatee like. And then I wrote, feels like you need lots of prior knowledge to appreciate this. <laughs> Which is, which is what we said in the previous episode. I, don't, I also don't we think tired. that's
0: entirely true. Like, if you go in in the spirit of, like, I'm gonna watch an old movie now, that's made today, um, but I'm gonna watch an old movie. Like, I don't know that you need a bunch of prior knowledge. I think it could function just as, like, here's this writer, he was part of this society. There's a lot of passing lines of do- dialogue referring to people. Like, uh, characters in
1: the movie, uh, Hearst or uh, Louis B. Mayer, like, Upton Sinclair. There's just like lines of dialogue that they just breeze by, and I feel like it would be really confusing, and you might not care what they're
0: talking about if, if because they don't explain. It. They don't. They. I mean, no, no, no. They 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 speak as characters within the world who already yeah. know what they're talking about, which is great. Yeah, I. I, I love when they do that. I also, I mean, I didn't know who a bunch of the people were before this. Yeah. I didn't know who Herman J. Mankiewicz was. I knew the name William Randolph Hearst. I knew he lived at Sibian. I didn't know the name of his uh, trophy wife. Yeah. Hollywood trophy wife, I who I'm now blanking on again, yeah. played by Amanda Seyfried. I didn't know, I didn't know um, who that was either, but. I didn't know who Upton Sinclair was. I didn't know, yeah. like, who the Republican challenger was. I didn't know any of those things, but I felt, like, included.
1: Yeah, well, good. Oh, you're also a guy who loves writing in movies and you love making That's true. movies.
0: So I also yeah. love like the like they don't explain a lot of things that like would seem to require explanation. Like when the first time we go into that writer's room on the studio, there is a naked woman typing in the corner <laughs> wearing just burlesque pasties yeah. and, and they never explain her presence. No, I mean that. Yeah, I don't feel like
1: you needed prior knowledge for that, though. That was just like, what? What's going on? Um. But I feel like it will, there are a lot of people who would be lost, who would, it would lose because they're not interested in the making of a movie they've never seen, you know, or uh, making of movies in general, you know.
0: I gotta say, you've been saying the word making a lot, mm-hmm. like making me giddy, making movies, and every time you do, I want to say manking, <laughs> ah! and it's just really hard for me not, it's I should, just, I had to get it please out, do, I had to say it once. Please say
1: manking every time I, I say making. Yeah. And then I wrote, uh, this is old Hollywood, and it's about writing. Jake will love this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, am I right? Am I right about that?
0: Yeah. You love, yeah, you love old Hollywood, every- right? Any, I love old Hollywood, and anytime we see people walking through a Hollywood backlot, I just feel so happy. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what era it is, what anything. Like w- seeing people walking between sound stages, mm-hmm. they always have a bunch of like ridiculous jibber jabber running in front of them. Like somebody's in an alien costume, somebody's in like, uh, you know, like a cowboy costume. They're just like yeah. whatever Hollywood tropes from the er- like early '40s can be. They have them running around in the foreground, but like. Just seeing sound stages makes me. I cry. like
1: that too. I like that stuff too. I don't know if I, I. don't know if I love it as much as you do, but I love. I love it too. Uh,
0: even though I was making like zero dollars, one of the happiest times ever. I was just working at the back lot, uh, the back backdraft attraction mm-hmm. on the Universal Studios California lot, and the backdraft attraction is butted right up against the back lot. Mm-hmm. So like we were right next to. I could go back and have my lunch like, across from sound stages. Awesome. And it was the greatest. Like, the only thing I can remember that filmed across from me while I was eating a Universal cheeseburger was <laughs> um, Britney Spears' <laughs> Slave for You video. <laughs> and that's your favorite movie. <laughs> oh,
1: that is, about, yeah. yeah. So it
0: was perfect. Yeah, that's great. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: A great line. He's, uh, Mank uh, walks on set of some new talkie movie they're, they're making. Louis B. Mayer is sitting there he walks on. That's when he goes up and talks to the the trophy wife. What's her name? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Really I, don't th- know. I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable referring to her as the trophy wife. Yeah, I want to know
0: her real. She was an actress. She's an actress. Yeah. Her name. Marion Davies? Marion Davies. Yeah. Marion Davies. Marion yes. Davies.
1: Yes. So Mank shows up to, he's going to basically say hi to Marion Davies. Uh, I think the director or Louis B. Mayer says to him, long night. And he says, a short one plagued by spirits. Because he's, like, he's still drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> a, that's really that's good. That's just a good line. Just a that's good. really good. And it good. makes sense because he's a writer, you know? Like, he just talks yeah. like that. And then another <laughs> great line when um, his uh, editor is upset that he's writing this crazy time-jumping uh, narrative. And he's... Yeah. And he, as he leaves, he's yelling at him. And then as he leaves, he says, Write hard. Aim low. That's was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that's something I want to take to heart. You know, I want to. That's I, yeah. to be more prolific. Write hard, aim low. This political dialogue party is delicious. I want it played at my funeral. Marion Davies is in the room. His Manx wife is there. They're all just having a big political discussion about Nazis and about socialism and communism and Upton Sinclair. And uh, it's it moves like a bullet. It's just back and yeah, forth. Yeah, that uh, whole
0: scene is gorgeous yeah just beautiful yeah that's a scene and it also it also introduces us to our next villain who is kind of like the number two at uh mgm then it's okay it's okay we don't need to keep doing this with names yeah. this whole three yeah. is just us trying to remember yeah, names. Yeah, but that
1: that scene to me was so good but also like again to me that's like that's not for everybody i don't think i think a lot of people are gonna just don't they don't care about stuff like that stuff you know yeah yeah uh, yeah um and it's really fast and they don't make it they don't hold your hand it's just like we're just gonna <laughs> we're gonna bullet through this there's so many good ideas brought up they don't dwell on them they just they just go right through
0: like the whole sequence that follows with them walking through San Simeon past the monkey cages and then you go and you see the elephants yeah. and the giraffes and everything that long languid scene of them just talking getting to know each other yeah over the it's a really long scene it's great Tons of beautiful outdoor footage well, is so classic Hollywood. Yeah, and it's
1: William Randolph Hearst's house, San Simeon. Yeah. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous, huge, exotic place with all the with giraffes, with all that stuff. I was reading, when I was reading about the, um, well, that that's also because that's in Citizen Kane, that's Xanadu. That's where Citizen Kane yeah. ends up. It's like a, to mirror... Hurst's house is Xanadu in in Citizen Kane. When I was reading about it, that is actually that was one of the things I
0: said was accurate about the movie is that his house was that ridiculous. What people can do with money is ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's kind of disgusting. Yeah, and then <laughs> yep. and then I said
1: Bill Nye because Bill Nye plays Upton Sinclair. It's like a very oh, is that Bill yeah, Nye? Bill Nye. <laughs> oh, election bet montage, Chef's kiss. I said.
0: So. Yeah. So the election bet montage is the one time the Fincher at least once in every movie pulls the gloves off and gives you a Fincher sequence. You know, that's like beautiful close ups, like cut together. In this case, it was still old Hollywood because oh, yeah. it was dissolving from this one was, to the other. This definitely felt like an old montage to me. Like, like in The Social Network when you have that bizarre tilt shift boating sequence. Yeah. That still makes a lot of sense actually, where they're the boat race. But um, yeah, in terms of. In terms of people's goals and things like that, Liza and I were talking about it, but yeah. Um, in this case, it also makes a lot of sense because the energy of that room and betting on uh, on who's going to win. Yeah, in a, yeah. Make bets against against Republican McBoddy. And then it's just like a
1: yeah, that's his name. Uh, just like a brief montage of just intensity of like the numbers coming in and everything. And close-ups on Mank, I think too, like sweating, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and drinks and this and that. And then it's done, yeah. and then it's like kind of over in a kind of low-key way. Like it didn't, it didn't even have to happen. The montage didn't have to happen at all. It's just like thrown in, yeah. but it's great. I loved it. Phony newsreel. Omg, the parallels to today. The parallels. I know. Looking at it, it's like, well, that looks staged, and I can't believe people would fall for that. If you had to talk to me. I don't know, four years ago, I would have been like, that's ridiculous. No one would fall for that today. Now I have no idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. People absolutely are doing it constantly today. Yeah. Like, on both and every side. And and I think it's
1: almost equally as obvious.
0: Uh, I watched the
1: French pun bit four times, and I couldn't get it. Uh, French pun bit. Yeah. It's his brother uh, who makes a pun to him before he leaves about... Uh, court case they're doing, and he he made a pun in French, uh, and like as he's leaving, he's he's getting in his car. He says the he t- says these lines about this pun he made. So yeah,
0: like, I don't think there was I didn't I don't there know. was
1: there's something there that I'm not getting. Okay, well
0: I don't I also did not I get read it. Though. I read
1: the subtitles, like I was like what what <laughs> am I missing here? And I I think it's just that I don't under, I don't speak French. I guess I don't that's why I don't get the actual words. Some maybe someone watching, please explain. <laughs> Please explain the pun. This is my last note, but it was the the bit where Orson throws some stuff at Mank, and then yeah. Mank's like, "Actually, that's pretty good for the ending." Like, I thought that was a little cheat. That was too much. I was like, "Well, I'm sure that didn't really happen." And then I read about it later. That did
0: happen, but at an earlier time probably didn't inspire the scene i dig that idea but like the the dramatization of it where like he's like oh actually that's really good like he furiously starts writing was a little over the top yeah and especially for fincher because fincher doesn't like to push no too far over the top i I feel like he would have just been like finish the conversation then would have sat down and start writing yeah like as a real person they didn't get along i guess uh, no, well, I mean, even if the things that they said in the newsreels which were, after winning... Those are true, I think. Best, yeah. yeah. Well, the the agreement uh,
1: in the beginning was that Mank wouldn't get credit. But then he realized yeah, he, he wrote no the credit. wrote the best thing he ever writ wrote, and he wanted credit. So they fought, and Orson eventually gave him half credit. And then it, it was nominated for, like, eight Oscars or something. But it only won one, and it was Best Screenplay. And yeah. so they both won an Oscar. They both weren't there, so separately in their speeches... <laughs> Orson Welles said, he can kiss my half, which is great. And then Mank said something to the effect of, uh,
0: I'm going to accept this. I accept this award yeah. in the same spirit in which the screenplay was written in the absence of Mr. Welles.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my notes. And Love it. And that's how I feel about it. I think it's great.
0: Grank. I think it's great, too. I, Grank. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. The fact that Fincher's dad wrote it explains to me why he would... He would choose such a very verbal screenplay. Although, to be fair, Social Network is wall-to-wall yeah. dialogue as well. That's Aaron Sorkin. Like, non-stop but dialogue, yes. but more visually oriented. That movie is more laid out to be visual, like, just in terms of, like, the amount of locations and the variety of locations and, like, the way things can be filmed and the set piece sequences. And, like, there's just a lot more, like big set pieces in Social Network mm-hmm. than there is in Mank. It's basically just long dialogue scenes. Yeah. And only one scene in Mank made me feel like I get it, and I wish we were on to the next scene already. And it, the only one is when he comes in at the end and kind of, like, dresses down the entire dining room of people. Oh, yeah. Because he's just saying all this stuff. And maybe it's only because I already... I've seen Citizen Kane several times and know about it and everything that like, I didn't need him to kind of tell me all the stuff that he put in Citizen Kane. Uh,
1: I kind of liked it, but also that there's no evidence that that happened. But when he, when he threw up at one point, some, at some point he did say, oh, don't worry. It was, I threw up the wine or something like that. That
0: actually happened, but That's not great. in that room. Where in the Fincher filmography, where would it fall? Well, it's uh, I'd have to look at the list of Fincher
1: movies, but it's probably in, in the top five. Fight Club and Social Network and Gone Girl are way up there for me. Yeah, yeah, me uh, too, dude. Me too. And then maybe Make. I don't know. Might be it might be up there, or near there. More than seven? Oh no, no, More no, than no, seven? no. Seven, seven's up there too.
0: So it's it's probably maybe it's five. I have to I have to look at all of them, but yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the end and we're all worn out from answering questions, I'm gonna do my hardest question first. Okay. Early in the movie Mank, uh, a new writer, Joe, uh, Herman's brother, comes to start work and he goes into the writers' room and they go, "Okay, we got to we got to go uh, tell Louis B the story." And they go in and it's clear that they had never before discussed this movie, but like one writer starts talking about the first act and then the next writer says, "So you and I are have to go in right now <laughs> no. to Louis B Mayer's office." Oh, no. I have I have a site right here called uh, Genre Generator. We're gonna do a. We're just gonna do a quick five beater, you know, just like right. introduction, first problem, second problem, third resolution. Wow! Okay. Oh, we we got sci-fi. We got sci-fi. Sci-fi. Okay. Yep. Sci-fi. Do you want to start? A scientist who invents a way to live until you're five hundred years old. Right, and it's set in the near future. Yeah. So like everything looks kind of similar, except there's more holograms and things like that, and. He is trying to decide whether or not he's going to uh, give this technology to the to the uh, corporation that funded the researcher. If he's just going to hoard it to himself and uh, kind of like fake his own death and take it with him and just live himself singularly for the next 500 years.
1: Yeah. But then he falls in love. Oh. And he and he does live for another 50 years. And she's dying. Right. And he can't save her
0: without letting everyone know that this technology exists. Right. So what, um, so yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, when we talked about this earlier. Sorry, Mr. Mayor, I got wrapped up in my, in my colleague's uh, telling of the story here. Yeah. yeah. So like he can't, he has to decide then between the woman that he loves and the technology that if the corporation got it in their hands, they would potentially use it to um, destroy everything. He's now lived 50 more years. People are astonished that he that his health is retained so well. He hasn't been sick a day in 50 years, all this stuff. He looks so young and youthful. He goes to her room and she's on she's at she's at death's door. And the the, the his corporate sponsors are right outside and they come and and he says, "I just have I have I just have to say I have to say goodbye. If you could just wait in the hall for one moment." He goes in, he leaves Uh, His corporate sponsors right on the other side of the door, they came because they know, they suspect that he has this technology on him, on his person at this moment. And he goes into the hospital room where he says, I just need one moment. Just give me, just count on your watch one moment. I'm just going to go in and. (laughs) (laughs) And Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just
1: I get so wrapped up in this moment, Mr. Mayor. Uh, So he goes in and he, he goes up to the woman that he loves and
0: he says he leans over her yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you is this okay no, go, ahead, go I ahead i know you i know you wrote this beat in the room yeah, but i just had yeah. to he leans over her and he says do you trust me and she says i will always trust you mm-hmm. and we cut back to the hallway where the men are pacing and they're like what's your watch say and he says it's been one moment and they go in and they look and um the, the window is open and they look out and they see uh Two bodies laying on the ground below at the bottom of the, it's like they're the 20th story of the hospital and they're like, oh my God, we gotta, they, he, he, maybe he has the formula on and we gotta go. And you go and they run out of the room to go check the bodies. And then, um, the, our heroes slide out from underneath the bed and he's holding his loved one and she's still alive and he's given her the dosage. But you look over and her roommate's bed is now empty.
1: The, the corporate people run out. They use that time to escape. They, they go to, uh, they they go to paradise. They find paradise, and they go. They fall in love. But she is so upset that he that he threw the roommates out of the window. So he tells her he's going to go back. He's going to find the bodies. His technology can bring them back from the dead.
0: His serum. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know it until now, Mr. Mayor. We didn't know as an audience, not as the writers who are coming into you with a story we've developed, but as the audience, we didn't know that the serum could also revive the dead. Only after a certain Ah. amount of time.
1: Only after a certain amount of time. Yeah. So
0: he has to race back to try and get there in time. Mm -hmm. Except guess what? It's not true. That's a lie. He just had to get out of town long enough so that his loved one would die and not uh, steal his technology.
1: Yep, that's right, Mister Mayor. I feel after after a lot of arguments uh, about the ending, he, Jake won. I think we're onto something there, though. That's pretty good. <laughs> Anytime it was my
0: story, it got worse and worse and worse. <laughs>
1: well, I don't think he had to. It could have been brought back at the end, but no, but no. I feel like that's an easy fix, though. That's an easy fix. Greatest black and white film noir of all time.
0: For me, I enjoy the film "To Have and Have Not." With Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, that's
1: a their uh, their chemistry is is red hot,
0: unbelievable, red and hot. it's their first one together. Yeah. It's their first one together, so you're really seeing them fresh.
1: I think after they shot that, uh, 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 Humphrey Bogart left his wife for her.
0: Correct. It's a real Mister and Mrs. Smith situation.
1: Also, if you watch Casablanca, and then you watch To Have and To Have Not, um, like, and you compare the relationships, yeah, yeah, between. Humphrey Bogart and um, Ingrid Bergman and then Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall.
0: Yeah, chemistry's
1: way better in To Heaven and Have Not. <laughs> yeah. Way I, better. The
0: chemistry's great. The dialogue's yeah. great. Like they they yeah. it's just the photography's great. It yeah. is beautiful, beautiful film. I'm not lore. saying I
1: I like one more than the other. It's just that the chemistry in To Heaven Have Not is I, insane.
0: I feel yeah. similarly about Casablanca as I do about Citizen Kane. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I th-
1: I think Casablanca is great. But, uh, third, oh, you wanted to guess mine.
0: I knew it was, you already said it, third man. I, I knew, yeah. like, because we went, I, yeah, yeah we talked. We, we saw it at the music box. We went to a screening of that. Yep. Yeah. The third man. Love it. Orson Welles
1: didn't direct, but he's in it. And, uh, he, he's not even the star of it, but, uh, I don't know. Just love it. There are moments in that that remind me of the Coen brothers
0: and it's the soundtrack is a zither. Um, my next question, uh, favorite movie, Craig, favorite movie about writing
1: yeah you asked me to answer this, and I thought about it for a while, and I looked at lists and <laughs> I came up with what I think is my number one, and then I have a couple runners up. Well, for me, I chose this one because it's the one that I out of my rut all of my my three was that I feel like I would just want to watch right now like <laughs> I could watch it again, and that is Wonder Boys.
0: That's my number one movie about writing of all one. time. Yep, that's my Wonder number Boys? one. Wonder Boys. Wow, it is what? the wow. best movie about writing. Like it, it's yeah. what it feels like to be talking to writers about writing. It's what it feels like yeah. to be writing something good, something that you care about. It's it's what yeah. it feels like to be writing something that you feel like isn't working. Like it. It's what it. It's what it feels like to be in a
1: creative writing class, which I've been in se- several. Like at the beginning, they're in a creative writing class. Yeah. Like it feels, it actually really does feel like writing.
0: Curtis Hansen's follow-up to LA Confidential, Michael Douglas, Robert Downey Jr., (laughs) Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Katie Holmes. Like it's just such a good, Francis McDormand. Oof, what a cast. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. And then my runners-up were Barton Fink and Capote. Barton Fink, man. That's my screenwriting one. And I, yeah. I and so much of so much of Mank also reminded me of Barton Fink. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels yeah. it's that same it's old era, old Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, same era, same Hollywood vibe. I'm amazed we, that we both chose Wonder Boys.
1: That's amazing to me. <laughs> wow,
0: yes. wow, great! Movie. Could have
1: chosen so many different movies.
0: What's another movie there should be a movie made about? Right, uh, making of a movie, a movie about a making of a movie. Mm-hmm. And I. Had a hard time with this one, and I came down to two. My my choice between two. One would be fairly easy to research. There's so much about the making of it already. You might as well dramatize the making of it, and that's Jaws. Okay. <laughs> All right, you got the young Wonderkin director. A lot of yeah. lot of things working against him. Um, yeah. And you, I also have a lot of points of entry from that. It's probably not just a single per- perspective film. You'd probably have to be a fly on the wall of a lot of conversations in that one. Second one, real nitty gritty, and almost probably would be more fun because before people are making studio movies, it's when they really have their craziest stories. The making of Evil Dead in nineteen seventy nine. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Down in Tennessee.
1: So I, uh, my my choice is Heaven's Gate. Oh, wow. The, uh, the Michael Camino coming off of Deer Hunter. Um, and it is the it is the notorious example of going over budget and um, destroying a studio. And uh, the, I see so many stories about how there's this Western that he just kept getting bigger and bigger and was incredibly expensive, and it was a horrible flop. Yeah. But uh, there's stories about ridiculous things he did on set, like... He insisted they shoot the, a battle scene three hours away from their home base, so they <laughs> they would have to drive three hours to go shoot this battle. He had a an irrigation system set up yeah. for for plant life and grass or whatever in a scene. Like he had to grow grass to for a scene. He had mo- like minimum thirty two takes on everything or something like he, that was like required. <laughs> like he uh-huh. had to it had to do
0: multiple multiple takes. I want to see a movie about that. Yeah, who? Is or what character is your favorite trophy wife in cinema? All right, so I think she's a trophy wife,
1: but I—I I mean,
0: I think we're just going to say the same thing again. We probably are. One, two, three. Tara Reid,
1: Pulp Fiction. <laughs> okay. Can you give your best drunk acting by saying this line? Uh. I just wrote a random line. A okay. Random What'd you get? Sentence. Here, let me let me send it to you. Hey, oh, you're do you're you're costuming up.
0: Yeah, getting into character here.
1: Yeah. I better I better too. I'm gonna I got a bottle here.
0: Ready? Yeah. <laughs> hey man. How's it going? Good living life. Like a good man should, so don't give me any guff. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> uh Good. You're still in character. You're still doing it. Wow. Okay. Um, all right, now it's my turn. Yeah. Do it.
0: Oh. Hey, hey man. How you how's it going?
1: Just living life like a good man should. Don't give me any guff.
0: (laughs) See, that's good. You you're deeply drunk at that point. (laughs)
1: I'm just really also really tired. Yeah, you're you're so
0: drunk you're exhausted.
1: You were just real sloppy.
0: Yeah, sloppy I was a sloppy drunk. drunk. Was that it? Was that all the questions? Yeah, that's the six. That's, well, I mean, I've done my three. Did you do your three? Yeah. Yeah, I you did, did your my three. three. So uh, thank you for joining us again for another episode of Movied. I am Jake. I am Jake's friend. Oh, yeah, guys. You know what we never, ever do? You guys could go uh, subscribe on Spotify. That would help. You could go to uh, Apple Podcasts and just leave us a review and a rating. If you're just listening to us. You could go check out the video version of this on Wheezy News. Or
1: just call your family or your friends and uh, say hi. Yeah. Don't
0: it's, even it's don't highlight. even
1: bring up the podcast.
0: Just, just the, talk to your friends and family.
1: Yeah. But social distance. Just call them. Yeah. Don't go see them. No, 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 no. And scene. <laughs> Movie. Movie. I just realized, should this entire episode have been in black and white?
0: Ooh, I like it.
1: So, guess what, guys? This episode was in black and white. (laughs) Whoa, surprise! (laughs) For the podcast listeners, it is a surprise.